Welcome to this bonus episode of the Limitation is a Mirage podcast. In this episode, I have my good friend Ian Rowland, good friend and mentor. He's been mentoring me for about six years now. Uh, he is the reason that my book actually exists. He was the one that told me that my life was interesting. I had a couple of good ideas about what I did, and he thought that I should write a book. I convinced him that he should help me write a book, and then I ended up with a book. It's actually been in more countries. It's traveled further than I have traveled personally. Uh, so in this podcast, we talk about th that journey. How did we come to become friends? How did we end up being mentored? And then how we came up with a, a way of working together where he helped me get a book and I helped him lose some weight, uh, a significant amount of weight, which he will talk about in the podcast. We also talk about his other work, like being a magician, a mentalist, a speaker, working for the FBI and writing his books, how, how his creative mind works and how he gets his ideas onto paper. So I really hope you enjoy this. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to any, either of us. Uh, we're both very approachable. And I will speak to you on the next video. Welcome to this bonus episode of the Limitation is Rise podcast. Today I have Ian Rowland, who is a cold reading expert, a mentor of mine and friend for the last, we just discussed how many years, and I forget, about six, seven years. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know Ian, can you give a brief intro into who you are? I'm a writer. Hi, nice to see you. Nice to talk to you. Nice to be part of this. Uh, yeah, I'm a, a writer, speaker and trainer um, based just outside of London. And I run three websites. There's my own website about my corporate work. I do the all the cold reading success stuff and the addiction fixer as well. So I've got three hats. basically. Brilliant. The, the writer one is how, well, that's how we got to know each other because you um, took a book out of my brain and put it onto paper and then people bought it and liked it and enjoyed it and think now I am a very clever author. I'm very posh now because I've wrote a book. Um, but I, I think well, before we get to that, we'll talk about how we met. We met in Belfast when you were doing a lecture. I, I think it's only the third one I've went to. I only really went to ones that I knew that I knew of you, but I didn't actually know you. We'd never interacted. I just knew that the cold reading stuff was what I was most interested in. At that stage, that would have been what you were most famous for. Um, do you want to tell people what cold reading is first, I suppose? Because there's a lot of people who won't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I, I'm i going to very politely disagree with you. I don't think I'm famous at all for that or anything. But anyway, um, cold reading is how it is usually talked about in the context of the psychic industry, people who you know read tarot cards and fortune telling and stuff like that. And cold reading is how to talk to people so that you sound psychic. So you can meet a complete stranger, you don't know anything about them, and yet you can give them a reading lasting three minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, stating facts, stating things that seem correct, uh, discussing their character, personality, past, present, and future. Um, that's what cold reading is. Uh, I think it's fascinating that it's actually possible that it works and a very long time ago before you were born in 1998 slight exaggeration but um <laughs> i i wrote a book on it uh, the full fact book of cold reading which uh, was just one of those publishing flukes i thought i was going to sell about 40 copies to my friends in the mentalism world that's the kind of type of magic that looks like doing psychic mind reading stuff, Karen Brown kind of thing. That's what mentalism is. I thought I might sell about 40 copies to my friends in the mentalism world. 
because I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a professional magician, but I am a member of the Intermedic Circle. And in, instead, it, it, I mean, he just sold tens and tens of thousands of copies all over the world. I uh, don't know why. I'm just very, very glad that he did. Um, that, that, that was the first of the three books I've written. And that's how um, some of our mutual friends, like Anthony Jackman, the Hypnosis King, uh, came across me. And that's eventually how we met when I came across the Belfast to do a, a, a lecture for the Belfast Magic Society, which, by the way, I will quickly add, was one of the happiest, most delightful, most joyful uh, sort of visits to do a lecture anywhere that I've ever had. It was very well looked after. Got to see the glorious city of Belfast, but most importantly, got to meet the people. And, and to, you know, me, what you meant there? Thank you. Um, uh, <laughs> different places around the world often pride themselves on, oh, yeah, we're very warm people, we're very welcoming, and the hospitality is great here. And some of them live up to that, and some don't, but Belfast definitely does. And I had a great time there, and it was nice to meet you as well, because I, we were in the same position, because you'd heard about me, but not many. I'd heard about you, and I hadn't met right. you. And I'd heard about these incredible uh, sort of ninja skills and vagabond things, all these crazy demonstrations. And I didn't even know you were going to be there. And then you introduce yourself at, at the, the interval, and the, oh, you're that guy. <laughs> you know, that was really good. That's a true ninja. If you hadn't known I was going to be there, I wouldn't really be a ninja. But because I am a ninja, that was why. And that—that's whenever I remember. After in the bar, we all sat around, and all the magician guys were. Because you know, the same as me, you love magic. So people were just showing you stuff and you were sitting in your element and you're asking everyone to show and all these wee kids, like they're even kids to me and they were just doing crazy stuff. And then thankfully I always carry a chapstick, which sounds like a random statement to make. But when you were like, oh, do you want to demonstrate something? I thought I can't even touch a deck of cards. I will look like the biggest amateur to ever exist. So I broke a chapstick with my throat in the middle of this bar in, in Belfast. And that's that's how we got talking then. And that, that's where I had no intention of ever writing a book. I barely read at that stage. I was reading stuff that I needed to read, like magic and hypnosis and stuff, but I never read outside of that. Um, and then when we talked, you were like, you should write a book. And I felt that was probably one of the biggest mistakes you ever made because that turned into me hounding you for, for months going, <laughs> How do how do I how do I do this? What's what's going on here? How do I make this happen? How do I do this? I like how you flipped there for a, se a second. Um, what is it like to get someone like myself who had like no like I can't put it across people how little experience I had in trying to write anything, never mind a book. Like, what's it like for you to be able to take someone like that to someone that has their own book, which I have beside me? That's the new cover version, because people kept asking me about fighting. Uh, my, my version has the old cover, the original cover. Yeah, I have one of them beside me too, but too many people ask me, was it about fighting? And I'd be like, I couldn't be further away from fighting. Um, but what's it like to be able to take someone with absolutely no knowledge on, on what to do to having their own book and actually people buy it? Like People actually buy, pay money for the book and, and read it and enjoy it. Uh, it, well, it was it was great to work with you on it. So um, just a little bit of background. I, I'm a writer by trade. Uh, that's what I've been doing for 
waited 30 years or more. Um, so I write books for myself, but I also help other people to write books. I sometimes ghost write books. Sometimes I'm allowed to say that I worked on a book. Sometimes I'm not. Um, and if somebody has a book inside them, one of the one of the many things I do is I help them to get it out. I show them how to write it, publish it, put it online, and sell it and make money. It's a great passive income. It's a wonderful thing. And I don't. I never say that everybody could or should do this, but I do say a lot of people, more people should and could than ever actually do. And it's it's a wonderful thing to do. It's a great journey, as you've just said. It's uh, great to have it. Your book becomes your roving ambassador around the world. You never know where it's going to end up. People lend books, they borrow books, they pass them around, they point to them and say, hey, uh, you know, this is really good, you should buy it. And uh, it could go all the way around the world. You never really know. And you'll get emails and things. Oh, hi, uh, Liam. Yeah, I'm so-and-so from Borneo. <laughs> you know, I've read your book. So it's a great thing to have. This is what I found when I started publishing my own book and also when I've helped other people. So yeah, it was great to work with you on it. Um, and I, it's, something, it's a process I enjoy. It can work in so many different ways. Every time I do work with someone on a book, every sort of client, every kind of book is different. Some people want to, you know, my, mine is an end-to-end -end service, writing, editing, page layout, publishing, marketing, all the rest of it. But I only do as much as anybody wants me to do at any given stage. So if people want to take care of most of the writing, fine. Um, and if other people <laughs> would, rather uh, you know gouge their eyes out than write that's fine i can take care of all the writing for them and i gather all the information i do some structured interviews and so on so with you i mean this this is this is great this is a really good book uh that's the old cover the the new cover is better um you had a lot of good content you had a lot of good ideas you had a lot of good uh, things to share and to pass on and my job was just to facilitate that and, and put it between two covers um which we did very successfully and it's a, it's a great little book. It's a great book. Uh, and then artifacts came things like things that I, I, I remember is anytime I started to write anything at real like I remember texting you often saying, mm -hmm. Ian, usually it would take me five minutes to write a post. Now it's taking me half an hour because I'm really thinking about what I'm writing and I'm looking <laughs> and I'm changing words and I'm using grammar. This fancy term you taught me about grammar, full stops and other such squiggles. And to the point where I remember, distinctly remember one day I sent you a message and you wrote back, you just wrote back, reread your message. Like, what do you talk? Reread that and tell me if it's supposed to make sense. And then I reread it and it didn't make any sense. And you were like, turn off predictive text and just pay attention. And I did. And I couldn't spell at school or, or anything like that. And I've never used predictive text in the last probably five years. Just because of that, but because of that, it makes me more aware of what I'm writing. And that was something I really got out of it. Yes, I got got the book out of it, but it filtered into every other area of my life. I think I'm a better speaker, not because of all the, the other stuff that you did to help me be a better speaker, but I'm more articulate. Probably that for, I wouldn't use that word. I wouldn't never even heard of it. Uh, so... Whenever when I try to talk to people about it, like well, they'll always say to me, "How did you end up with the book?" Especially people that know me, and I say, "You get someone that knows that can guide and mentor you through it, and that's that's basically what you did. Like you took someone who cheated at spelling tests when they were in primary school, wasn't allowed in any classrooms in secondary school. To my teachers ask my old teacher saying to me, "How do I buy your book?" Which like is an incredible journey, I think. Um, 
whenever it comes to like writing and stuff, where do you think your creativity comes? Your like we do a thing called Enify, where if I'm <laughs> if I'm stuck writing something, I'll text you and I just send it to you and say, can you Enify this for me? If I want it to be just better, I want it to like whenever I was doing started in the corporate business, you give me endless help there. And I remember the first pitch I wrote and sent you to check over, you just sent it back. And I was like, you know, that's not what I wrote. And you're like, yeah, Ian, if I did a wee bit. So that became our, a, a thing. So how, where did your creativity come from? How do you see words like the way you see words? How did, like, where did that come out of? I, 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 I'm glad you picked up on my favorite verb to Ianify. And it's not just you. I do this for quite a few friends and clients around the world. They often send me stuff and say, uh, it's right. What we've got here is right. This is what we want to say. We just want you to Ianify it. <laughs> so yeah. kind of rewrite a little bit, put a bit of gloss on it, just knock, knock out the fluff. There's um, uh, a guy who runs a business consultancy in Norway. And it speaks perfectly good English, writes perfect English, but they, they literally send all of their corporate communications through me because they know I'll do it the same day or the same hour. And they say, yeah, please eodify this invoices at the usual address. I'm <laughs> just sort of eodifying all this stuff. Um, look, it, it's what I've been doing for a long time. It is my job. Uh, it is my trade. That's the first thing I ever did was uh, get a job as a writer. I love it. And um, I think it's important to mention a couple of things. What, you, you know how you hear this? Uh, trope that if you if if you have one sense highly developed, the others compensate, or less well developed, the others compensate. Like say, if you're a blind person, your hearing increases and you become like have super hearing. I, I don't know if that's true, and I'm aware that um, some people in those communities don't like those kind of lazy stereotypes. But I'm just using it as an example. Now, in my case, if you could look inside my head, um, there's there's clearly some sort of facility with words and with writing. I've always Words have always been my friend. Friends, I loved writing when I was at school, and the great joy of my life was discovering it was, an act, it was actually possible to earn a living doing this. That that was my big fear. I had I was given this one thing I had a bit of aptitude for, and there's no way to earn a living doing it. But what you need to understand is that every other part of my mind, my brain, is less well developed uh, proportionately. So I've got this one little thing, this one this one trick pony that you know. I can write fairly well, uh, well enough to sell books, put it that way. Um, but everything else I'm terrible at. Um, so I think that's the first thing to clarify. Um, so it, but the other thing is, a little bit more seriously, this, this is a point which I get asked about a lot. And I'll tell you the truth, but nobody will like it. You won't like it. Nobody watching this will like it. But you've asked me the question, so I'll tell you. I'll try to keep it brief. When I got my first job as a writer, it was a, a creative, uh, resource and facility place of creative media and marketing it was we had video studios this was back in the 80s because i'm very old uh when video was new and exciting uh we had graphic design we had music and everything now my job was to research write and produce corporate videos corporate videos were very new and exciting at the time so i'd meet the client take the brief write the script then produce the video now uh, and, and a lot of that can sound a bit mundane. You know, we've all seen corporate videos and training stuff that's really boring, but some of it was creative. They, they would come to me with a really boring subject, uh, like a new kind of vinyl that's used to line water pipes. You know, and say, how do we make this interesting? How do we make this fun? How do we make sure we engage, engage the viewer? You know, so some of it was creatively challenging. 
And here's the point. Here's the point. If I had a, say, a script meeting with the client at 10 o'clock on Tuesday, it has to be ready. There was no, there's no room for excuses or, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I did say, uh, I, well, I, was, I was absolutely sure I was going to get it done, but then the, that thing happened with the dog and next door. Next. No, it had to be there. And there was no time for pretentiousness. And I couldn't put my, the back of my wrist to my forehead and say, my muse has deserted me. I didn't come up with anything. No, I had to have it there. And this was, you know, I had these kind of deadlines two or three times a week every week of my working life for about four and a half years. So I had to develop good writing muscles. Now, you're a muscle guy, you're a gym guy, you work out. You know if you, if you get a, yeah, you've got good guns and everything. So if you lift the same weight over and over again, you develop good discipline and you, 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 you've got the muscles that show, yeah? Yeah. I've got a different kind of muscle. You can't see it. It doesn't show up on the outside, unfortunately. But if I sit down to write something, I've now got all, I haven't stood in a gym, you know, doing bicep curls for 30 years, but I have written stuff on demand to a deadline for a client for 30 years. So that's the muscle I've built. And it's the muscle that says I'm allowed to do anything except not deliver. That, yeah. that, that's the one option I don't have, is not to be ready, miss the deadline. I, that's the one option I can't have. So I've built up the discipline, the, the, the writing muscle, and I've built up the, it must get done, reliability. Um, and, and that's where it comes from. Um, nobody wants to hear that, but, but it's the truth. Yeah, it's the same as anything. Like Nobody wants to hear when they ask me, how I got good at any of the things I'm good at, I'd be like, well, I practiced it a lot for a long time. That's how you get good. Like, I didn't even do PE at school, and now I spend all my living time talking about sport, fitness, nutrition, health. Yeah. How did you get that? I did it a lot for a long time. Like, I remember I would have sent you things, and you would have said, right, it'll be ready by Tuesday at 6 o'clock. On Tuesday at 6 o'clock, I would have the next thing. And you'd be like, like you never missed a deadline ever. We never missed a meeting. So, um, and again, it's why I think just your your understanding of your craft made it so easy because it was a very daunt. I remember it was in Belfast that day we met where you said, you write a book, let's talk about it. And it took me probably about two or three weeks to actually contact you and say, remember you said I should write a book? Can I be, how do I do that? Right. And then... Remember you sent me a way to write something, which I think was great because if you had just said, yes, I'll help you, no problem, right, let's get started. I would have been very lax towards it, I think, because again, I would have just thought, I don't know what I'm doing, this guy does. But yeah. you were like, write something and send it to me. And I was like, fuck right. So I had to actually sit and think. I remember sitting at two in the morning, staring at a screen going, other people do, how did that Harry Potter lady make a book? Like, well, how did this yeah. actually work? Um, well, just, just let me add, it's, it's not just you. Look, one of the reasons, as I say, it was joyful for me to realize I could actually make a living doing this. But look, most people don't, aren't really particularly good at writing. But even the ones that can write, most people don't want to. They don't enjoy it. They don't like it. It's a chore. It, it's work. It's, you know, cycling uphill. 
Whereas I actually love it. If I'm sitting down and, and writing something, I'm, I'm happy. That's me locked and loaded for the next few hours. I'm good to go. I love it. Um, so it's not just you. Uh, you, you know, you've talked about your background and when you were growing up, some things you were good at, some not, some things you liked, some things you don't. But, you know, I've worked with lots of clients and even people who would profess to be uh, very, let's use your word, articulate and, oh, yes, they, they are highly educated. And yes, they, they do think they're right, but they don't want to write. And so I've met a lot of people who have a book inside them, but they either they can't do the writing or they don't want to, and they just want a, a book midwife. They just want someone who will get the book out of them. And so working with you, you know, you supplied the ideas, you had all the content, you had uh, references, you say, well, I, I want to include this idea, you point me to stuff around the web. Then we did interviews, we did structured interviews, and I talked to you and, and took some notes. And then uh, you would rough some stuff out and say, okay, I can see kind of what you're getting out of there. And we just put it all together. And um, I think it's a, I think it's a really good book. I'm, I'm very proud of what together we would create. Um, but I hope you're going, just in fairness to yourself, I hope we're going to move on to the quid pro quo. This was a process of fair exchange. <laughs> because yeah. I was getting a lot out of it as well. Maybe you want to get onto that next. I don't know. It's your interview, but... Um, yeah, no, I, I, I was going to touch on that. It, it should be mentioned that this was not a one-way street. Yeah. Um, well, that, that's uh, my next question I was going to ask you is how many books, do you know how many books you've actually, initially I was going to ask, do you know how many things you've wrote, but you've wrote for Magic magazines, and so that's probably an impossible number. To, but do you know how many books you've actually, I've got about six books that you've dabbled in or had some sort of, creativeness yeah. I'm trying to think there's probably one near me somewhere of a look um do you know many books that you've actually put out there <laughs> um well I mean the magic magazine articles yeah I used to write the magic magazines which nobody watching this would care about and uh, the magic circular I uh, did 12 years I did a monthly article for 12 years magic magazine in the United States I did a monthly article for five years they were different articles so and some of those years overlap so sometimes I was doing two a month um I've written about uh, 10 books, I think, for myself. I've written about, about nine or 10 for other people that I can mention, uh, plus lots of other things that are just you know, faded projects now, lots and lots of technical manuals and corporate stuff. Back in the day when I was a technical writer um, and, and doing corporate stuff. So I pulled a lot of words out of my head. Um, and you've recently, is it three books you've recently released? Which three are you talking about? I thought you were lifting them there. Oh, well, I don't know which three you're talking about because there's three on the cold reading site now and there's three on the addiction fiction site. So you wrote six is the answer then? Uh, I knew there was, but I couldn't remember the, the number. So the, well, the the addiction one, that would be sort of where the where we work together to create um, like, Getting fit and weight loss was. Yeah. Do you want to go into a wee bit of that? How that came about, or? Yeah. Um, so, here's the very short version. Um, none of this is tragic. I've had a really nice <laughs> life, a good life, a very fortunate life in many ways, and I've had lots of fun and bits of success and travels and all that jazz. But um, there was a cloud in the sky, which was that for many, many years, and I mean decades, I was a very overweight person. And eventually I was uh, an obese person. 
and I didn't want to be. Uh, I had a very bad addiction um, from my early adult years to sugar and to starchy food. Um, and every day I fought this addiction and every day I lost and I tried everything. I, I didn't want this. I wanted to get rid of this part of me. I wanted to overcome it and I just couldn't. I tried everything. So, um, and it just got worse and worse as, it, as these things tend to do. Uh, in my early 20s, I didn't look particularly overweight, although I, I did have the addiction already. Um, but, you know, as the years go by, my 40s, my 50s, I mean, I just got bigger and bigger and bigger and heavy, and it's awful. It just really is. Um, especially, you see, there's this stereotypical view that it, you know, if you see somebody who's fat, heavy, overweight, whatever you want to say, um, that they're happy like that, and they just want to be a couch potato on the, you know, on the sofa, watching TV, stuffing their face with snacks. There may be some people like that. I'm not saying that's impossible, but I will tell you this. Most people who have a weight problem actually want a way out. And they probably are trying, and they probably have tried. Um, they would like to not be addicted. They'd like to be in control of their own life. And they'd like to, I'm not saying everybody wants to be a sporting star or anything, but they want to be a person of normal size and be able to enjoy wearing normal clothes and things. And they just, they are fighting it. That's the point. But they don't get anywhere. And they don't get anywhere for a very simple reason. If you were to hold a competition to find the one subject in this life that there's more nonsense written and spoken about than any other, I think weight loss would be right up there in the top three. Yeah. It's, for anybody who's trying to lose weight, it's not that there's no information around. I mean, even before the internet, there was a saturation of information, but certainly since, since the online era, I mean, there's just tons of it. But 99% of it is seriously unhelpful, if yeah. not just plain misguided. And it's a terrible thing. I mean, it, for anybody watching this who doesn't have this kind of issue, it, it's very difficult to relate to, but if you do, you when you have a problem outside of yourself, oh, a noisy neighbor or some litter in the street or something, you feel you can do something about that. Mm -hmm. It's outside of you. The problem is not you. The problem is something you are observing and relate to. But when it's inside you, when it's a part of yourself that you're trying to fix, a part of yourself that doesn't seem to work correctly, there's so many times in these decades I would look at people I knew, friends I knew, of normal weight and think, they can do it. I mean, why is there something in here that makes me think at half past nine at night that going outside, going to the one store I know that will still be open where I can get my sugar fix is a normal thing to do? Why am I doing this? And I was having this battle with myself. So most people are trying to fight it, but they fail uh, because the information that's out there is bad information. It's disinformation. In fact, uh, a friend of mine said it's sometimes known as infobesity, uh, info that just actually helps people to be more obese. And then uh, very, very happily in 2017, I found the answer. And it, it was glorious. It was very, very happy. I do tend to sound a bit evangelical about it, but I'm not going to apologize for that because for me, this is one of the biggest things in my life. You can imagine very vociferously 
fighting a problem for like 25 years and, and, and never finding the answer. And then suddenly finding it. That's a big moment. That's a wonderful thing. And um, was able to lose weight pretty easily with some help and mentoring from you, which we'll talk, we should talk about our weekly Skype sessions because yeah. they were fun. And um, lost all the weight. I kept it off. It's not a problem. It's easy to do, but easy-ish, as I say. Uh, plus, I got fit as well for the very first time in my life. It's only 5K, 10K. And it's enjoyable. It's easy. It's, it's like so many things in life. It's so hard if you don't know how to do it. And if you just swamp with all this bad information and misleading and unhelpful incorrect information. When I wrote the book, there's a, as you know, because you've seen it, there's a whole section on what I call the information problem. And I, I just have to help my readers to ignore 9, 10, 11, 12 different categories of bad information that's out there. And I have to explain it all. But once you know how, it is easy. And it's fun. It's very enjoyable. I, you know, I haven't had a day's complaint about it since. Yeah, you, I remember there's no way you would have thought like jogging, for example, was going to be a fun activity. Uh, in your life, and I remember the first time you had a jog, or a, what we called it, a mix of jogging and walking. Jogging was that what I what I was calling it for a while? I, I, I something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um. What What's it like to be like fit and healthy now from twenty five years of fighting that? How does it feel to actually be a fit, healthy, strong person? Um. I'm not too sure about the strong. Well, it's very easy to sum up because life is life is better. And then people say, well, in what way is it better? And I say, think of any way in which it could be better. And it's better in that way. Um, for me, actually, it was more important what was up here in my mind rather than the, the physical. We'll talk about the physical in a moment. But as I said, I've had this you're, you're like uh, some of the comic books and superheroes and things. It's kind of like the Incredible Hulk is a good metaphor. You know, there's this thing inside me that I did not want to be inside me. thing that was constantly trying to reward myself with sugar and, and starchy food. And I, you know, I, I swear, I, I was for 25 years trying to get rid of this and try to overcome it. And I did everything. I tried everything. Um, but it didn't. I, I did go on diet. I did join a gym. I did work out. I did do Body for Life and all of these things, but, which is a great program, by the way. I'm not knocking it. But it didn't help. It didn't hurt me anyway. Um, so, first and foremost, is this joy of not having that inner conflict. This mm -hmm. joy of now, I eat right, I eat healthy, I'm fine, I'm a person of normal weight. Um, and there's no, there is this crazy, slightly deranged addiction driving me. This isn't there anymore. I left it behind uh, on that day. In, in, in fact, if I go back to that moment in 2017, the whole thing was over in 15 minutes. 25 years of struggle, 15 minutes, gone. Um, and it's, you know, that's what I wrote about in the book. This is how to do it. And so for me, the fact that that conflict, that lack of internal coherence, that lack of gestalt is fixed, and it has stayed fixed, 
is the biggest joy. It's great. Now, all the rest of it, yeah, I'm a person of normal weight. I can fit into normal clothes. I, I know that if I want to go jogging for an hour, I can. My body will do that. The energy that I have, um, all the cliches that people talk about. If I need to run for a bus, you know, hey, I'm going to catch that bus. Um, yeah, it, it just, everything feels better. Everything. There, there is, there's no downside. It's all upside. And it, but for me, it's, it's, it's the mental attitude. You mentioned my attitude towards fitness and jogging. I mean, it's all in, in the book. There's a section at the back about my story. But yeah, I was one of these people who grew up thinking that exercise and fitness and was a horrible experience. Because the way I was introduced to it in my school years, it was a horrible experience. It mm. was just this nasty, sadistic, unpleasant, uncomfortable experience. Best avoided. So as soon as I got to an age, I went to university then, where I, nobody was telling me I had to I had to do any physical exercise anymore. I thought, great, that's that over with. Um, <laughs> so I never did. I never I never got the memo that said actually it can be fun, it can be enjoyable, and it's good for you. And, and whereas now, um, as you know, because we've spoken about this many times. If 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 a, a, I, I tend to go jogging around three or four times a week. If it's a jogging day and I can't go for some reason, I'm just too busy or the weather is just too insuperably in bad, even for me. And I don't mind running in rain and storms, but if it's just too bad or some, some of the claim on my time, I get annoyed. I, I think, ah, I really want to go running. You know, I, I miss it. Um, so everything's better i know I, I know it's good for my health as well but there are other things i appreciate more more than that and it's joyful and very satisfying and a great feeling in every way because everything's better i like the the bit where you said about if you wanted to catch a bus you could catch a bus because it reminded me of the first time you caught the bus and that was when we started calling you flash you're yeah, right. exactly. It's great. It was actually uh, going down to my local train station. Um, if I need to pop into London, I, I have to take the train. And what it was, I was about six or seven weeks into having started running. So I was beginning to see some progress and improvement. But of course, I was, I, I was jogging. I was going for the long term. Right? Can I keep running for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? It was about distance. It wasn't about speed. It certainly wasn't about yeah. speed. But it, it just happened to be, uh, I got down to the station, there was a train there, and I really had to sprint the full length of the uh, sort of uh, the, the, the track lead, leading down to the, the platform. And I, and I just, I didn't really think about it consciously. I thought, I, I want to catch that train. I want to be down there. It's a long way away. And I just went. And now all of that sort of muscle power in my leg, the was accustomed to conserving itself because I wanted to run for you know four or five kilometers, was suddenly able to just be burned up in, in those nine or 10, 11 seconds. And I found myself on the platform right next to the train just before the doors were about to close, before I'd even thought about it, really. It, was, it felt magical. It felt like, yeah, the, the comic book character, The Flash, because I had been at the top of the platform and... Now I was here. So that's when I discovered that my legs can do both. They can do they can go for the long haul or they can use up all their energy in a short sprint. And I remember, yeah, uh, on our next um, 
Monday Skype, which we, we should talk about, because I want, I want the people watching this to know what you did for me. Uh, I said, yeah, I had this amazing experience catching a train the other day, and uh, hence the flash. That's what, one of the things I love about working with people is there's no way I could, if, if I had a said you at the very start, someday you'll do something that seems mediocre to normal people, like you'll run and catch train, and it'll be the best day ever. If I tried to explain that to start, you'd go, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, but when it ha when those wee things happen, like a client recently, his son randomly jumped on his back, and rather than falling over, he started to squat his son. When they put his son down, his son was like real shocked by his strength, and they high five and he left. And then he rang me going, rather like if that hadn't happened six weeks ago, I probably would have fell over. But instead, my body just kicked into strength mode and did a few squats and then put him down and went away. That's I love that the wee wins that people get throughout the entire journey that you could never explain to people. But just whatever you were saying there as well about when I asked you what does it feel like and you said think of any way your life could be better and that's how it feels. I try to get that across to people that sometimes training is hard, but it makes every other area of your life easy, whereas not training is easy, but it makes every other area of your life harder. So yeah, that's what you've discovered doing that. Well, the the the, the problem is um, you can't explain feelings. You can't explain emotions. They have to be experienced. This is a problem you have as a mentor. It's a problem I have uh, with some of the work I do with people. Um, yeah, the, 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 but the feelings and the emotions are the most important part. I I. So as I say, this goes back to about 2017. At any previous time in my life, if you had tried to interest me in the, the notion of jogging and running, uh, you would not have succeeded because I thought it was, but first of all, I thought it was boring. I've seen, we've all seen people jogging. I've seen people jogging along the street. Sometimes, probably when I'm driving in my car and I see some guy, someone jogging along. I thought, first of all, I thought it looked boring because what are you going to think about for that half hour. And as you know, I have quite an active mind, quite a busy mind. I thought, oh, I could never do that just because it's so boring. And it looked a bit pointless. Oh, I'm going to run a long way away from my home just to turn back and end up at my home. Well, I'm already here. Why bother? You know. So I had this very kind of sarcastic attitude towards it. Plus, I thought it was uncomfortable. Plus, uh, you know, that's on a perfect day of perfect sunny weather. What, what, what about when it's cold? What about when it's sleet? What about when it's rain? You know. Whereas I discovered lots of things. It's not boring. I'm at, my mind is actually probably more occupied when I'm jogging than anything else because of so many things I'm thinking about, my pace, my pronation, uh, the, how my breathing is going, how my body feels, what my mind is, the route, the path, watching any obstacles. That means other people who dare to use the streets that I run along. How dare they? Um, there's lots of things to work out. Um, and it's... And I'm, and I'm absorbing and an engaging experience. And I'm not normally trying to push myself to set a new record, you know, a new distance or a new time. But on a day when I am, when I think, right, so I wasn't quite happy with my time on Monday. Today, I'm going to aim to be better. There's that because you're trying to make that incremental change that will lead to uh, a new time when you get to the completion. Anyway, let's not get into all that. I, I discovered so many things about it, not boring, uh, not uncomfortable, really great. The high, people talk about runner's high immediately after a race. I don't get that. I get it about an, 
about two hours afterwards, two to three hours afterwards, I've gone jogging in the morning, done my 5K or whatever, and I wait a few hours, and that's when I get that golden glow, that feeling of, oh, yeah, terrific, good, fantastic, you know, and, and why would anybody not want that feeling? Plus, it's, you know, a lot of this is negative space. A lot of things are appreciated. Not, not, it's not something anybody can see. It's mm -hmm. an absence of negative. I had the experience. I, there's no reason to be dishonest and to share this, but I'm going to be. It's embarrassing. But I've had the experience of going into a major retailer like Marks and Spencer. It could be any clothing store. Because at one point, my waist was 46 inches. And I was beginning to feel my trousers a little bit kind of tight, a little bit pinching. So I decided to go in and find the next size up. And the assistant, very politely and respectfully, I have to say, um, actually, in the store, we don't carry anything bigger than that. I mean, we do have our high and mighty section. You can order online. I'm happy to tell you about that. I'd, I'd actually exhausted their scale. They didn't have anything bigger. Which, as you can imagine, as I say, uh, it was a more or less empty store, and the assistant was very polite and, and kind of didn't sort of make me feel bad about it, but I felt bad about it. I thought, how ridiculous is this? I'm a grown man, I'm supposed to be an adult, I've got a perfectly nice life, and I've let my waist get to this point. Um, and I once went to, I'll tell you one more story. Again, I don't, why should I sit here telling stories against myself? But I will, because honesty is important. I was on vacation in Las Vegas uh, with my partner at the time, very lovely lady. And, you know, you do fun and frivolous stuff when you're out there. So uh, she found this kind of theme park, fun fair kind of area. You can go and ride and stuff. And so, oh, we'll just kill a couple of hours having fun there, you know, acting like kids, basically. Uh, but there were adults there. And we went on one ride and the people, putting us all into these rides, did the thing, you know, they bring down the safety bar and it sort of locks into place. You've got to hold on to that. And that's, that's what keeps you in place on the roller coaster. And I had to get off because they couldn't get that bar down. It's just so, yeah. so sorry, sir. It, you know, it's, uh, what can I say? So I had to that's get off and I just watch, watch my partner at the time go round and round. It's embarrassing things like that. It's awkward things like that. It's clear indications, if indication were needed, that something's not right. Something's not firing right. And moving through this sea of people, ordinary people from all walks of life, who somehow seem to just eat what they need and don't put on weight. And, and, and it's always this voice in my mind saying, well, they can do it. Why can't I? And then I found the answer, and uh, it's all fine. Everything's great. I love it. It's great. Uh, wrote the book because I, I want to help other people. Um, it's all based on a therapeutic process called parts integration, uh, which has been around since the 1950s, but hardly anybody knows about it. And um, writing books is what I do. <laughs> so that's why I wrote the book. Um, but we still haven't mentioned your role in it, which we should, out of fairness. Uh, but before we do that, uh, just one point I want to make is that because I know a lot of people, and I've worked with a lot of people on weight, weight loss journeys uh, and having difficulties with, like, personally, I always have difficulty putting weight on, which comes with so many 
negative responses by people they go oh you're so lucky and you're like not if you want to and your body doesn't want to it's just that's not a good thing but like you lived a really good life like you traveled around you've worked with some i don't know if i'm not allowed to mention the companies you worked with but you've worked with some incredible companies you've worked alongside some incredible people so it's not like you were just sitting in your house being the lonely loser fat guy that people would expect an overweight person to be you were actually like lecturing and like you said you're only good at one thing but you're you lecture in magic you've done like penguin for example you've done it twice isn't it's at least it is twice isn't it it's not yeah yeah so you've, you've done that like they fly you over to do that you've worked with you can name any of the companies that that you want. I don't know who I'm allowed to name or what I know. Uh, there's, there's no reason not to name any of them. Uh, there's no, nothing secret. I mean, I yeah, I, I do corporate work. I do corporate talks and training. I've done it all over the world. Uh, the FBI hired me. Uh, Google, Coca-Cola, Unilever. The British audiences, Marks and Spencer. Uh, a whole bunch of people. Uh, a whole bunch of companies. Some well known, some not. Um, I've lectured at Oxford and University, uh, Oxford and Cambridge. I've done media stuff, BBC, ABC Television, Sky. It goes on and on. Yeah, I've done, I've done a lot of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it, it wasn't the um, sad, lonely loser. And I, I also had you know, perfectly nice relationships in my life, great relationships. Um, it, it was just all of that, but on top of it, this problem of being really quite heavy and overweight and obese, and I did not want to be. And I was yeah. trying to fix it. And I was trying to fix myself. And I didn't. I, 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 you know, and it's not something that was just for a few months or a few years. This was literally decades. Um, the horrible, that's a horrible fight. When you, when you try something all the time that long, for that length of time, and never find the answer, it's, Really. Yeah, that, that was my point. Just wanted to really get that across that it can happen to anyone. Anyone can get demons that start to control other areas of their life, and you can try. Like people again, like there would have been people that just thought, surely, and just loves his food. He never tries to. Like they wouldn't really understand that you are trying. That's why I have a pet hate in this industry of. There's lots of people that will purposely gain three to five stone. And then lose it, and then sell their their weight loss product. It might be a, a audio tape or a program or a diet. And you're like, but you're not an overweight person. You're a person that put on weight on purpose, knowing you would lose it. You haven't had ten years of one day waking up and going, "Fuck, I'm massive." I I knew I was a wee bit overweight, but I'm actually really overweight now. Like that's for me a completely different thing. And it's like you're saying, there's so much negative information out there that. It just messes with people. Like, why did this not work for me when it worked for him? Well, because he, like, like if I spent the next year putting on five stone by just eating butter, and then I lost, like, I'm still, even with five stone on, I'm still not a heavy, overweight person. I'm, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a misleading, it's a misleading demonstration because people who do that don't have the problem. Mm. They're just intentionally replicating a, a facsimile of it in order to lose weight. Yeah, I mean, Arthur C. Clarke once said that um, trying to get information off the internet is, is, is a bit like leaning over and trying to get one glass of water off Niagara Falls. And he was just talking about the sheer 
extent and density of information, but it's similar to if you're trying to find the right information that would actually help you to overcome the problem. You see, if you don't get to the root of the problem, you can't get to the root of the solution. Yeah, and there's so much to do with weight loss and, and, and fitness that doesn't do that. Now, for 25 years, I was sometimes able to evade my addiction, to duck and dive, to hide from it, paper it, cover it up, but it was still there, like a taproot of a massive tree. And so even if I would make a bit of progress for two or three months, I would then slide back because the addiction was still there, maybe dormant for a little while, but still there waiting to wake up again. And when will it wake up again? We know the answer. At the next emotional crunch point. And yeah. we all have an emotional crunch point. Something goes bad in the relationship or at work or whatever. Something upsetting. And that's when the addiction springs back into life and reclaims you, whether it's food or drink or smoking or whatever. So, yeah, I, what, to, to go back to the thing about Niagara Falls, trying to find the right information. About, oh, I, okay, I'm overweight, I'm big, I don't want to be this, how, how do I fix it? it it's kind of like searching for the one glass of water in Niagara Falls that will actually help, that will actually make a difference. I mean, there's so much misinformation, wrong information. Uh, like, like the example you just gave of people who don't have the addiction, don't have the problem, but they're just gaining weight to then lose it and say, look, it's easy. Yeah, it's, it's, that's not going to help somebody who has the addiction and who has the problem. Yeah. And there's lots and lots of this. Um, and another one, that, as, as you know, as I say in the book, there's a whole, set, whole chapter on the information problem. Um, things like people who treat journalism as expertise. If, if you're putting together a daytime TV show, you might have a health tip section, just to fill five or six minutes. It's one segment of the show. And sure, they'll give you a few health tips. Again, not going to help. It might be perfectly good advice, but it's not teaching people how do you go into your mind, fix the underlying addiction so that it's not there anymore, the compulsion isn't there anymore, and then you can sort out everything else. And that's what I explain in the book. And uh, that's what I did. And I know I've helped other people now uh, since the book's been on sale. So yeah, it's, it's a problem. The information problem is actually, I think, the biggest part of it. Um, everybody, you know, we all Google everything these days or use the search engine of our choice. Um, <laughs> you want to find information about something? Go online and look for it. And that works for a lot of things. You want to find a piece of delivery place near you, that will work. If you want to find out how to build websites using Wix, that will work. Um, if you want to find out a particular quote from Shakespeare, that will work. Whatever you want to do. But if you're thinking, yeah, I'm overweight and I don't want to be, how do I fix this? Doesn't yeah. work. In fact, 99 times out of 100, whatever you find, Whatever bit of information, advice, guidance, whatever, will actually make things work. That's the odds that are stacked against uh, large people, overweight people, who are trying to fix the problem. And that's why I wrote the book. It's a horrible position to be in. Imagine anything that you normally would find online. And imagine if 99 times out of 100, the information you got was, was useless or next to useless. That's a frustrating process. It really yeah. is. I, I use the, there's a meme 
and it's a picture of Abraham Lincoln, and it's a quote from Abraham Lincoln that says, don't believe everything you read on the internet, Abraham Lincoln. And I'm like, that's, there will be people that will look at that and go, oh, that guy must not like the internet, because they just don't know who Abraham Lincoln is. Like, there's so much, there's yeah. so much out there that's just designed for, to fill someone else's pocket, like that idea of gaining five stone to lose five stone to say, my hypnotherapy CD will help you lose weight when in actual fact it won't unless you gained it on purpose. Um, it's, it's, actually, it's actually more insidious than that because, I mean, you, you say something like that, you know, Abraham Lincoln, a guy who died a long time ago on the internet. You can look at that and you know it's funny. And it is funny. I've seen it. and But you know it's obviously a, a fake thing to illustrate false information online. But a lot of what you find, you go searching and Trust me, before the internet, I, I got hold of every kind of source of information about weight loss and how to overcome this problem. Since the rise of the internet, and I used to work in IT, so I, was, I had a ringside seat at the dawn of the internet, I the rise and rise. All of the information you find, a lot of it looks plausible. Not yeah. all of it is as ridiculous as the kind of examples you're giving. Some of it looks like it comes from well-accredited people who are genuinely trying to offer, and they are, they're sincere. But it won't help. It won't help because they don't know how do you reach into your head, actually fix the underlying addiction, and from that point on, what do you do next? And that's why I wrote my book. I wouldn't have written it if I didn't think there was a space, a kind of a gap that it could fill. I wouldn't have written it if I didn't need to. I mean, I, I've said I like writing books, and I do. But there's other yeah. things I could devote in my time to. It takes time. It takes effort. And I wouldn't have done it if I thought, oh, well, the information is already out there. It isn't. It really isn't. I know this is a big claim. People think, yeah, there's a lot of information online in. I know. But the correct information about the easiest way to do this isn't available. And that's why I wrote the book. And that's followed it up with the one on smoking and the one on drinking or alcohol problems. Um, but uh, time is passing and you're being very modest because I, you still, we still haven't talked about the great role that you played, and we should, because I think that's important. Can, can I talk about that? Yes, you can work away. I'll just have put on a smug face. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, so I, as I say, I had this wonderful moment when I finally realized how to overcome my addiction, how not to be an overweight person anymore, and not to have these cravings and compulsions anymore. And it was great. And then I went on a journey, uh, little by little, probably an inappropriate phrase to use, but uh, gradually getting my weight down, uh, my fitness up. And I had a number of targets. Uh, I had a target weight, which was to lose 40 kilos, which I think is about 88 pounds. Um, target weight size from plus 46 down to 34, and fitness goals, you know, to be able to run 5K and 10K in reasonable time. I wasn't trying to set records, but in reasonable time. And um, you and I were, were already um, in discussion about um, working together on your book. So we're kind of a, a two-way street deal. I helped you with what I'm good at, and you helped me with what you're good at. And the system we hit upon was a weekly Skype chat. I think we generally did Monday night. Yeah. And I want to... I want to be very specific about this because people have so many, this, this is an area prone to a lot of misunderstanding. It is not the case that you were sending me 
diet sheets, the exercise plans, the, you know, gym day one, gym day two, or anything. Yeah, I mean, you could have done, if I'd asked you for that, of course you'd have sent me all that. That's not what we did. It was just a conversation. It was a mentoring conversation. There were weeks where we hardly touched on weight and fitness at all because we just had so many other, so much other fun stuff to talk about. We kind of just yeah. drifted. But um, if I wanted to discuss anything to do with this, how I was feeling, how I was going, a week had gone well, a week had gone not so well, anything, I could talk to you about it and you would give me some constructive feedback. A lot of it was just the value of having someone to talk to about the journey. Uh, some of it was a bit of encouragement here and there. You didn't need to do a lot of that because I didn't need it. I wanted to do that. But sometimes uh, a bit of encouragement. Um, lots of information. Anytime I ask you a question about any aspect of this, bang, you had the answer. Or you could immediately send me to a reference saying, oh, well, watch this video. It will explain it. Or well, this, this explains this exercise very well. Or, uh, yeah, that's an important point that comes up with a lot of uh, fitness training. This video addresses it. So you could give me references, um, you could tell me stuff, uh, share stuff with me. And so week by week, and, and meanwhile, you know, if you've done this on the time lapse, you're watching me getting thinner and thinner and thinner and a leaner face and everything. Yeah, um, we should have done that. Um, and it's, uh, and by the way, there are some horrendous before and after pictures on the website, theaddictionfixer.com in the gallery. I, I've posted my my wall of shame, all these photos of this whale-like figure trying to fit into a business suit, trying to present and Anyway, um, so we had these weekly Skype calls, which I very much enjoyed. I hope you did too. And it was just value of a conversation. It, it was just that. It was uh, someone to talk to, someone to guide me, someone to mentor me, someone to chat to, occasionally bits of information and advice that would have taken me a long time to find. And it was great, and it was fun, very enjoyable. As I say, there were times where we were just laughing so much we never even got around to the subject. Um, and it was great, and it was hugely successful, and I hit every target. I, I got down to my target weight, my target weight, and as you know, I, I did in fact run five 10Ks in a fairly comfortable time. I'm not Usain Bolt, but okay, not, not, not an embarrassing time. So there was a point where you couldn't run 2.5k probably a point where you couldn't run anything and then you were running 20k a week you're like to be like to some yeah, people that was just impossible to get yeah, there but I, towards the end of it um i did a 100k challenge which was five consecutive weeks and in each of those weeks i wanted to run 20k which was a five or five and a ten um yeah. which yeah i mean when i started out and it's in the book so I, public knowledge I couldn't jog for, for two minutes. I got about 90 seconds. I started, I went outside, like the early days, jogged along my street, along the road, and I had to stop inside of two minutes. My, that was how fit my body was. That's what I could do, all right? Um, and then following all the principles in the book, um, yeah, five, five, and 10, five, five, 10, Five, yeah, 20 each week and I've done the 100 kilometers um, in five weeks, which, I mean, it's not, I'm not in virtue signaling. It's not a proud boast. I'm not being smug. I'm just saying I was, I'm not doing any of those things. It's not smugness. It's not pride. I'm just sharing some joy. I'm 
just sharing some happiness. Like, what? You know, for so many years, I couldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done it. But I also would have thought it not possible. Yeah. And I would have also thought it was a horrible thing. You know, somebody had made me do it. Going back to this terrible memories of a physical education teacher, PE teacher at school, and all that sadism and everything. But no, it was, uh, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was easy. Well, easy-ish. I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't this, there's this caricature of somebody red face and wheezing and trying to force yourself. <gasps> it wasn't, it's not like that at all. It's like that on day one, day two, day three, but it's, you know, it soon goes. And then it's just this exploration of, okay, my body can do that. I wonder if it can do a little bit more. How about a little bit more than that? And I'm outside and I'm seeing, you know, the, the routes that I choose and not bumping into people and, oh, the weather's a bit cold today, it's a bit warm today. How am I feeling? Oh, my legs are doing well today, but not my feet. Oh, my feet are fine, but not my arms. Upper body strength, mental focus, concentration. I mean, it's all going on. And it's an amazing discovery. Yeah, that guy who did 5K, 5K and 10 last week, Oh, that was me. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> Amazing. And, and the fact that it's not heroic. I remember having this discussion with you. When it comes to, say, something like jogging for 5K, there are three significant dates. I remember we've talked about this. The first is the first time you do it. Oh, my God, I just ran 5K. The second is when you run 5K, but you don't think, anything of it. It's it's not, you don't feel like, oh, this would be a big party, a big celebration. It's just kind of, yeah, that's something I do. And the third is when you don't even talk about it anymore. And I, I go out three or four times a week, depending on what kind of week I'm having. And I would run five or ten. But it's I don't even talk about it anymore. It's just routine. It's just something I enjoy doing. I mean a 5K takes me just under half an hour. So that's why the time you would spend watching a sitcom or an episode of a soap opera. Well, as you know, I, I got rid of my TV five or six years ago. I don't watch TV, but it's just a really nice way to spend half an hour, especially at the start of the day. And it's enjoyable. There's nothing heroic about it. I, as you know from the book, I've got a big problem with the no pain, no gain thing. I think that sends out completely the wrong signal. Totally the wrong thing. I'm dead against that. And I will argue that point with anyone, anywhere. It sends out all the wrong message. It tells people that if you want to fix this problem, oh, there's going to be pain, there's going to be discomfort. That's exactly what you don't want to say to people. Yeah. Uh, and it's true. I've, look, I did this, and I never suffered any pain at all. I haven't, from the start of this journey to today, there's been no pain involved at all. There's just been exploration and discovery and finding, oh, and that I can do this. And I'm interested, and I want to, and it's kind of enjoyable. And uh, yeah, so it's, it, it's just an, an amazing journey. And you were a very, very key part of it just by saying, yeah, I'll talk to you once a week. <laughs> Do nothing else, <laughs> why not? And we have these very, very enjoyable Skype sessions. And uh, at the same time, we got your book done. So I, I think that was a good handshake. I think that worked, uh, you know. Yeah. I, I did my thing for you, you did your thing for me. I think that the Skype sessions, it's the the knowledge that you have someone that knows what they're talking about that isn't going to try to push you or look down on you. 
can give you feedback when you need it. And like, for example, the, the running for the train, you knew that when you told me that story, I was going to be as delighted as you were doing it. I wasn't going to be like, all right, well done, you ran for a train. Good man. Do 30 push-ups. I was just as delighted whenever you said, like, you worked out that your legs had that, like, now you know that you have the power there if you need to run for whatever reason, you can actually do it instead of in the past, you'd be like, well, that train's not going to be caught. I may just get the next one. Um, so I think that's what makes that important, like vital in, in the world of trying to become healthier, fitter, stronger. And like you said. Yeah, that's an important point because look, running for a bus or a train isn't something that happens every day. It's not that important. And there's always another one. Uh, I managed perfectly well for 25 years when I, couldn't run for anything. The important thing is the health aspect. Uh, yes. You know, fat hurts health, fit helps health. And the whole now, there's no guarantees when it comes to health. Uh, ill health and disease can strike at random, no matter who you are. Um, so we know that. But you have to go with the probability. And if you learn to uh, how to overcome these addictions. And it's not a boring life, but a solemn life, but just get down to a normal weight and eat healthy. You are increasing the odds, increasing the chance, the probability of staying as healthy as you can for as long. And uh, I don't care what you do or who you are, being healthy is much better than the alternative. Um, nobody likes being sick, nobody likes being unwell, nobody likes having a disease, nobody likes dealing with a condition, uh, all these things that can happen. There's, there's a huge long list of conditions that become way more likely if you are overweight or obese or if you smoke or anything. It's about health um, because health is the greatest gift. And it's about increasing the odds that you'll stay healthy and can be healthy. And that, that, so, you know, running for a trade, yeah, it was a nice moment. It was a nice story to share with you, but that's not actually that critical. And a lot of people might listen to this and say, you know what? I don't run for trains that often. I know. It, it's a relatively unimportant thing. Yeah. But the health is way more important. So, yeah, it's true. There are no guarantees, but it, you're, you're greatly increasing the chances and helping yourself boost your immune system stay healthy, stay fit. And that feels really, really good. I mean, it really does. Uh, all the time when I was overweight, especially the last 10 years of it, when I was, I was, I was obese, but no two ways about it. I, was, I got to extreme obesity. Um, there were many, many health scares, many of them. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have made it through. Um, and it wasn't nice. There was lots and lots of times, as well as, hating the fact that there was this thing inside of me that was pulling my strings and making me do all these stupid things. Um, there were lots of health scares. There were lots of things, lots of awkward moments. I thought, oh, but is this it? You know. Whereas now, yeah, I, I just feel I just feel nice. I just feel good. I just enjoy what I do. And uh, I've, I've always got more energy. Um, that's why I get so much done. And I, I also, you know, people don't understand about the link between fitness and freedom from stress and relaxation. There's a big chunk about it in the book, but I'm surprised so many people, so few people know about that. It's not, it's not just about being able, when you're fit, 
it's not just about being able to do the active energetic stuff, you know, all the stuff you do in the gym or going out for running. It's not about it. It's also that your relaxation time is much better. Yeah. You can relax much more. And stress kind of goes, really. It's just not an issue anymore. People don't understand about this. Um, you know, I, it, it, it's just great not to have stress, not to have anxiety in your life. And that's another thing that fitness gives you, as you know. But it's so little talked about. And you're, so actually, your relaxation time, that if you do want to sit on the sofa and just watch, you know, veg out and watch some TV for a while, you actually enjoy that more and get more out of it and your sleep and everything. This is something else that fitness gives you. As well as your heart and lungs being able to go up and do work that you couldn't do if you're unfit, they can also go down further than an unfit person. So you've got greater range. That's what fitness means. Your your energy, your energy you're producing fits the context. It fits the circumstances. And it, you know, nobody talks about that. Nobody explains that actually you're going to enjoy your leisure and pleasure and relaxation time more as well. So yeah. yeah, it's not it's not just running for the bus. It's also sitting on the bus. <laughs> it, it's also something better when you sit. And I didn't know about that for 25 years, but, but for the last two or three. It's something I've felt and enjoyed every day. I said, oh, yeah, this feels really good. Yeah, it really does. And no, you know, no, no health scares, no heart scares, no feeling, oh, hang on, what's happening? No, just feel good. <laughs> feel, just feel nice, feel happy, feel relaxed. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm just looking after myself, you know, and, and enjoying life a lot more. Because you don't have those, you don't have those crazy, embarrassing moments either. You know, the, the clothing retailer saying, um, we don't actually do anything that big for sure. You know, you can't go on the fairground ride or, you know, not be able to fit. Sometimes I went to a restaurant. I used to like restaurants a lot. Um, but the space between the chairs and the table, not quite big enough. All this stuff. And I used to hate the way I looked. As you say, a, a lot of my time is spent in front of people, yakking, talking, training whatever I'm doing, speaking. And um, I loved doing it, but I didn't like how I looked. I was aware that I was a bit of a, a bit of a bloated whale. And I didn't want to be. I didn't want this thing in my head that made me go out and eat confectionery and chocolate and sweet things and bread and cakes and muffins. And, stuff. and now it's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Defeated. Dead. It's been it's been amazing to be a part of the journey, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast was just to chat, to let the world see how if anybody can do it can affect anyone, and anyone can overcome it. Uh, but I know I've taken up a lot of your time, so I'm going to round it up here. Where's the best place for people to find you, to connect, to buy your book, to see you? Um, well, the, the addiction stuff is on a website called theaddictionfixer.com. Theaddictionfixer is all one word, .com. Theaddictionfixer.com. It's where you can see um, these. But otherwise, uh, I've got my own you know, a website about the other stuff I do, ianroland.com. I-A-N-R-O-W-L-A-N-D. I'll put the caption or text below this. I'll tag everything below anyway. Ianroland.com is another good way to contact me if anybody wants to. And I'm happy to talk about any of these issues or, you know, anything related to any of the other work I do. Um, yeah, that's always, always happy to talk, like, whatever. 
Well, thank you very much for jumping on. I really enjoyed the conversation as always, but more people will get to enjoy it now. And for everyone listening, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Good to talk to you. We'll talk again soon, I'm sure. Mm -hmm.